whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. question for you. Have you ever seen someone who was so drunk that they just lost all sense and ability and, you know, it could have been uncomfortable. It could have been somewhat, it, it can be somewhat comical as sad as it is. Um, most of us have, right? Most of us have. Uh, I often saw people who were drunk when I lived in Long Beach, California, and I walked to work and I did this crazy thing where I asked God to send me people to share his love with because I worked at a Christian organization. And I said, you know, I, I should be evangelizing. I should be speaking of God's love. And so often on my way walking that two miles from my house to work, I would be encountered by um, various sorts of people in various stages of sobriety. Uh, I remember one person who was so absolutely out of it that um, I mean just torn and tattered and he asked me for money and he was obviously slurring and he said um, ma'am can you give me some money somebody stole my wallet and then he looked down at his foot and said and my shoe he had he had one tattered shoe on and one foot that was completely like a naked foot and it occurred to him I have no idea where my shoe is and so his <laughs> his drunken way of thinking of it is somebody must have stole my old shoe. <laughs> and I, I I prayed for him. I have to say just the ridiculousness of what he said. <laughs> I, I, maybe I shouldn't have in my own heart laughed. I didn't laugh at him. I said, uh, sorry, I can't help you. I kept walking. I prayed for him. Uh, I, I did giggle a little bit. I mean, can you imagine being so, so out of it? Like this was a sneaker. This wasn't a sandal that you lose a sneaker off your foot and you can't remember taking one off and having one on. I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I grew up in a dry culture in a church that um, instructed us not to have any kind of drinking um, socially or anything like that. And uh, we didn't do communion in that church. It was considered asacramental, I would say. Not, not that we were against it. We just, we didn't follow the formal sacraments and uh, now I do uh, but even when we did do that it was it was grape juice you know grape juice dry culture I spent a little bit of time in the Methodist church so I was very well versed in the danger of alcohol when overconsumed. how it could take away your senses it causes you to see wrong it causes you to walk wrong but this morning I just realized um when Jesus talked about drunkenness he wasn't just talking about alcohol there was something else that he talked about that had, I think, maybe as powerful of an effect. Um, and I'll read this, this to you. It's um, Luke 21, 34. I was in the wrong place. Uh, Jesus said, Take care that your hearts aren't dulled by drinking parties, drunkenness, and the anxieties of day-to-day -day life. So given this, 
Um, I've never had a hard time with consuming, over-consuming large amounts of alcohol, even when in, in church cultures that allowed drinking, where I felt, uh, I felt free not, I didn't have any issues with having a drink from time to time because that particular church culture allowed it, and so I was being honest. Um, I still never drank a whole lot because of this thought of drunkenness, but I have been drunk before, like a lot. <laughs> not on wine, not on alcohol, not on liquor, but on worry. Any of us ever been drunk on worry? It's anxiety. Like, think about it. We get so, so into, oh my gosh, what's happening? What do I have to do? They know what this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Sometimes we get too much thrown at us and like, then we can't even like see the nose in front of our face. I said, <laughs> seriously, I will pick up my phone. Now, my phone is also my wallet. I have I have some cards in it and things like that because of the way the case is. Uh, I don't like carrying a purse, so. I will be walking around, talking on my phone, and freaking out on the phone that I don't know where my phone is because I can't see it. <laughs> I will sometimes have, this is how I, this is when I know that I'm drunk on worry. I will have my glasses right on my face and I'll be freaking out that I can't find them. You want to talk about drunk. <laughs> Yeah, I laugh and laughed and still honestly laugh a little bit about this heavily inebriated man that couldn't even figure out where a shoe was when one shoe was on his foot and one shoe wasn't. Didn't remember taking it off. Didn't remember losing it. Just decided somebody stole it from me, you know. But for heaven's sakes, there are times I can't find the glasses that are right on my face or the phone that's right on my ear. Or I'll put down a pen and I'll turn around and look back and all of a sudden I can't find it. It's, it's right there and I just can't find it. And then I freak out more and I just can't see. All I can see is everything that's against me and what I don't have and what I need. And sometimes the faster I talk, the more stressed you know I am. Or in this case, the more drunk you know I am on stress. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been there. But uh, that's usually what I know I need to stop. I need to stop. Been doing too much doing for God and not enough being with God. You, you know, you get to the point, you always feel like you need to work more and more and more, but there are some statistics saying when you work more than 50 or 55 hours a week, a lot of times the effectiveness of your work actually goes down. And those of you workaholics out there who work way more than that, do way more than that, I'm not putting you down. But, but there are some statistics. I, I mean, there are times. I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions to the rule. But in general, when we take that time to rest and be in God and not have that anxiety, our thinking gets clearer. You know, our, our thinking gets clearer. And sometimes we get anxiety because things are just thrown at us and we can't stop them. We can't stop the world, you know. Uh, anxiety could be a bad thing. It could be a fear. It could be a look at everything I have to do. You know, just having so many moving parts in your mind that you can't stop. Because there's too many moving parts in your mind, you can't stop all the moving parts. So I'm looking at a time, I love this story, I never thought about it as anxiety before, where anxiety had actually blinded someone to the reality, as it often does to us. But there was a prophet who had had such faith in God that even amidst all these crazy things that were happening, he saw this amazing thing right in front of his face that changed everything. I'm talking about the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet in northern Israel. He um, 
had just a very good gift of seeing there was there was a Israel had an enemy that quite often was absolutely until these they were called the Arameans. I can I can finish a sentence here. They were called the Arameans and until they themselves were taken over by the Assyrian Empire, they were just a thorn in the flesh, a bane of existence. There was a lot of raiding, there was a lot of overtaking, there was a lot of a lot of times the Israelites had to play tribute to them. They fought back and forth. Usually the Israelites lost quite often. But in this case, this this king couldn't win because Elijah, as he had such a clear vision of God and a clear kind of direct line to God's voice, he was able to say things that you could only know if God told you because he wasn't seeing it with his naked eyes. So here's what it said. Aram's king, this was... um. This is 2 Kings 6. I'm starting with verse 8, Common English Bible. Aram's king was fighting against Israel. He took counsel with his officers, saying, I'll camp at such and such a place. The man of God, that's Elijah, sent word to Israel's king, Beware of the passing by this place, because the Arameans are going down there. So he had like this direct line. For... Then Israel's king sent word to the place the man of God had mentioned to him. Time after time, Elisha won the king, and the king stayed on alert. Aram's king was extremely upset about all this. He called his officers and said to them, Tell me, who among you is siding with the Israel's king? And one of the officers said, No one, your majesty. It's Elisha. I apologize. It's Elisha. I was saying Elijah. This is Elisha, uh, which was Elijah's uh, protege, the person, and somebody who had asked to have double the spirit of Elijah, and then God granted that. He said, Elisha, the Israelite prophet, who tells Israel's king the words that you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. He said, go and find out where he is, then I will send men to capture him. They told him, he's in Dotham. So the king sent horses and chariots there with a strong army. Okay, so two people, Elisha and Elisha's servant, against an entire army. I think that's a pretty good cause for anxiety, fear, being blinded by fear. And on top of that, they came at night to surround the city. So can you imagine being, you know, Elisha's servant? Um, I don't usually have a great amount of reason for fear other than that I'm not, or anxiety, other than I'm just needing to take a break and trust God or seek God. But this seems to be a pretty good reason. You have a very much a strong army who's been raiding, who's stronger than you, and it's night, and there's like a zillion more of them than you, and they have like horses and chariots, right? They came at night and surrounded the city. So Elisha's servant got up early. So this is probably like pre-dawn, you know, and went out. He saw an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. Can you imagine as the sun comes up, you're waking up to the fact that you are completely overwhelmed. His servant said to Elisha, Oh no, master, what do we do? Blinded, drunk on fear. It's as if someone poured the fear right down their throat, you know? It wasn't even his fault. Don't be afraid, Elisha said, because there are more of us than there are of them. Say what? <laughs> Two versus a great army with chariots and horses. Simple math here, Elisha, right? But Elisha saw something that his servant had, hadn't. So then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he saw that the mountain was full of horses and fiery chariots surrounding Elisha. So not only did Elisha and his servant had an army, they had the army of God. Elisha's servant couldn't see it because 
one would argue he was looking with his natural eyes, but he was also looking with the eyes of fear. And Elisha, because of his clarity, had chosen to live by the eyes of faith, which enabled him to see things. Not only did he see things with the natural eye that fear keeps you from, he was able to see things with the supernatural eyes, with the eyes of heaven. He didn't discount the things that were coming against him, but he, what he counted in were the things that were with him. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? So the Arameans came toward him. So Elisha prayed to the Lord. I love this. Strike this nation with blindness. And the Lord struck them blind, just as Elisha asked. <laughs> right on the way to him. Elisha said to them, Elisha said to them, so this person that the army was going up against, the entire army was sent for this one guy. He talks to him blind and says, this isn't the right road or the right city. Follow me. I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. But then he took him to Samaria. <laughs> so these raiders that had been outside the gates were actually taken right into the gated city, blind, stripped of anything that would defend them around a bunch of people who have a reason to kill them. So when they arrived in Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. The Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were right in the middle of Samaria. When he saw them, the Israel's king said to Elijah, should I kill them, my father? Should I? He said, no, nah, don't kill them. Did you capture them with your own sword or bow? Do you have a right to kill them? Put food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and return to their master. So the king gave them a great feast. And they ate and drank. Then the king let them go, and they returned to their master. I love this. After that, Aramean raiding parties didn't come to Israel anymore. <laughs> so let's review here. We have this guy who has the eyes of heaven, who's able to hear what the king says in his innermost chambers, this king of Aram. And that that's able to protect Israel. Because God is for Elisha. God is really for Israel, even though they didn't deserve it at this point. So they're protected, and they're protected, and protected. And so the king of Aram, who himself is pretty blinded by rage, sends, like, this great army against him. This one guy, no real defense. And the servant has these eyes of fear, which are understandable, because when we have fear, we see our enemy. And it's great. But when we have the eyes of faith, when we choose the eyes of faith, if we even have the mustard seed of faith to say, God, show me where you're at in this, then it's not that we don't recognize the enemy. It's that we're able to see that the God who is for us is stronger than anything that can come against us. And that makes all the difference. In this case, it was a picture of heaven's army. <laughs> and at that point, when he prayed to the Lord in this great faith, well, not the eye, just the eyes of great faith, but the voice of faith, this massive army that no human being could overcome was stripped of the very power that they really had. They couldn't even see what they were attacking. Everything else that was given to them was useless because Elisha saw more and then ultimately they saw nothing. And I love this. They were marched into the very city that they were trying to really move to and overtack, treated like guests, and then sent back without a word. <laughs> Talk about messing with someone's mind. But how could Elisha do this? How could he have these eyes of faith? I'm going to say he must have done. This is a Karen thing. He must have done what Jesus did. Let's go back to that original verse. Uh, Luke 21, 34. Take care that your hearts aren't dulled by drinking parties, drunkenness, 
and the anxieties of day-to-day -day life. Just a few verses later. Now we're talking about God here, Jesus, God incarnate. But Jesus also identifying himself in 100% human. Um, in, this, in this chapter, it does talk about, calls himself the son of man or the human one. Um, it says, Luke 21, 37, every day Jesus was teaching in the temple, but he spent each night on the Mount of Olives. You know, the Mount of Olives where he prayed right before they arrested him and took him to the cross. I used to always think, so he went there once. Now that was his go-to spot. When he was in Jerusalem, he would be busy with that anxiety, but he got his vision straight. That's how he got his 2020 faith vision. Yes, he was God, but knowing his human limitations, he continually went back to the source. Seeing everything he was against, he continually went back to what was for him. And that's why Elisha, I believe, could see what his servant couldn't. Because in those moments where he wasn't feeling surrounded by human beings, he surrounded himself with God. And so once he understood and lived in that presence of understanding God surrounding him, no other army was strong enough. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. The one who is with us is more than anything that can come against us. What a great reminder. What a great challenge. Because I get off some days. I get pretty drunk on that worry. If I were to drink a lot of alcohol, which I don't, it doesn't take the worry away. It just adds another reason to be blind. You know? So what are you worrying about today? What am I worrying about today? What are you doing to get sober? What's coming against you? I invite you. Seek God. Make it your point and passion today to take on the eyes of faith. Your worries may not disappear, but when you see, when you take time to see how great God is, they sure look a whole lot smaller. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You've not given us a life without worry or struggle or trial. But Lord, even in these things, there's such an opportunity to see how much greater you are. Even in the struggles, there's such a great opportunity to see victory, Lord. And in everything, you work everything for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Lord, it's not even a matter of asking you to do that today, but open our eyes, Lord. Give us fresh eyes of faith that we may see the God and honor the God and worship the God and witness to the God who's greater than anything that could ever come against us. In your name, amen. May you experience God's victory, God's glory, and God's peace today. Be blessed, my friends.